Well, good morning, church family. I am um, I'm grateful that the worship team led us in those songs this morning. Uh, you know, one of the lines that we just sang, you know, hallelujah, what a savior. And then it's the next line, hallelujah, what a friend. Uh, in, a, in a new way, I would say that in, in this year, 2023, as I've been kind of going through my daily Bible readings and things this year, maybe more than ever in my walk with Jesus has um, the friendship of our Savior really been real to me this year. I'm, thank you, I'm thankful that the Lord now calls me his friend. My sins have been forgiven and that he has transferred me once an enemy, now his friend because of Christ. And I'm thankful for the gospel. Um, I am grateful to be able to be with you guys today. We are going to be jumping back into our study through the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, I, man, I swear, I'm in a church that loves to study straight through books of the Bible, right? This is great. We get woos and amens. All I got to say is we're going to pre- Okay, man, you guys are fun today. Okay, um, so... If you're new with us, let me, first of all, let me say thank you for being here. Uh, we're glad to have you. Secondly, the thing that you need to know is that we as a church, um, you know, we have been going straight through the book of Acts uh, off and on since the beginning of 2022. One of the things that's a value in our church is that we like to study straight through books of the Bible. Um, and as a preacher, I like to preach straight through books of the Bible because for a few reasons, you know, really the main reason is because I believe that we benefit from learning the whole counsel of God's word, the full counsel. Um, I think there's dangers to just kind of picking and choosing verses from time to time to just kind of talk about and make our own little points. But when we preach straight through books of the Bible, we receive the full counsel of God's word. We have to go through the fun stuff of scripture when we preach straight through the books of the Bible and we don't shy away from the hard stuff, right? So I get excited. My favorite way to preach is to preach straight through books of the Bible. So we've been preaching through the book of Acts in chunks since the beginning of 2022. And today we're going to jump back into it again after taking a little break. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it's really helpful for you to know this that in the opening chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus gives some words that specifically serve as an outline for the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says these words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that, you know, those words are spoken from Jesus After he has died on the cross, resurrected, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven and then commission his disciples out to be his witnesses in the world. And those words give us an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. And so let me just take a few minutes and kind of recap what's going to lead us up to today's text in chapter 18. If you've been with us for a while at UBC, maybe you'll be blessed by having this recap and kind of re-entering back into the story of the book of Acts. Uh, if, you've, if you're joining us new and you've really never studied the book of Acts before, this is kind of the Cliff Notes version that gets us caught up to chapter 18, okay? So outline of the book of Acts. The first section is about the apostles' witness in Jerusalem. Um, like Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So Acts chapters 1 through 7 are about their witness in Jerusalem. In chapters 1 through 7, we have some really important things that happen. We have an event called the Day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the apostles to preach and do ministry. We read the accounts of people um, receiving signs and wonders and miracles starting to occur in Jerusalem. The church forms 
in Jerusalem, and as the church forms, the other religious leaders of the day don't like the newly forming Christian church, and so there begins to be this oppression and persecution that comes, and that leads us into the second portion of the book of Acts, which is about the apostles' witness in Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria are the region surrounding Jerusalem, and in Acts chapter 8 through 12, we have some really important events that occur in that section of Scripture. One of the biggest ones is the conversion of a man named Saul of Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus was one of the leading aggressive persecutors of the church. He has this encounter with the Lord. The Lord saves him and changes him. And really from this point on throughout the rest of church history, he's no longer known as Saul of Tarsus. He's known as the Apostle Paul. And so that account happens here. In this section of the book of Acts, we also have some other important events like the Apostle Peter preaching the gospel to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius and his household believe and they come to faith, they become Christians. The reason why that's important is because up until that time, um, really Gentiles were, first of all, Gentiles are people who are not Jews. And so Gentiles were looked at as people who really couldn't become God's people for the most part. But here you have the Apostle Peter preaching to Cornelius. Cornelius believes and becomes a Christian and receives the Holy Spirit. And so this is the first Gentile conversion in, um, in this section of the book of Acts. And that leads us up to the third major section in the book of Acts, which is the Apostles being Jesus' witnesses now to the ends of the earth. So that happens in chapter 13, uh, through the end of the book of Acts. But that gets broken down into some subsections that all tie into the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And so in chapter 13 and 14, you see the Apostle Paul take his first missionary journey. If you remember our study there, Paul was stationed at the church in Antioch of Syria on the north eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They send him out as a missionary. He goes over to the island of Cyprus, preaches there, then up to Asia Minor and preaches um, the gospel there. He's with his friend named Barnabas preaching and teaching and they start churches all in those areas. They come back to Antioch, Syria and that concludes their first missionary journey. Then we get to Acts chapter 15. There's a major event called the Jerusalem Council and it's at that event where the leaders of the church enter into a big debate. The Jews are saying, oh no, if you want to become one of God's people and be saved, then you have to follow all these Jewish laws and and customs. Paul is saying, no, people believe the gospel, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they're saved. And so there's this debate. What saves you? Is it the works of the law, or is it the belief um, in Jesus Christ alone? And the, at the Jerusalem Council, the apostles recognize, you know what? No, salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. So that's a big turning point in church history there uh, in Acts chapter 15. Then we get to Acts chapter 16 where Paul goes on his second missionary journey. And he has a conflict with his missionary buddy Barnabas. And so they part ways. And he, Paul takes a new uh, man with him, a man named Silas. They end up meeting another man named Timothy. They preach the gospel in Asia Minor, but then they cross the Aegean Sea and they go over into Europe and they preach the gospel there and they start churches in all the cities um, kind of in that southern portion of Europe over there. Well, at the end of the missionary journey, second missionary journey, Paul ends in a city called Corinth. In the city of Corinth, 
he meets two people that are going to come up in our text today. He meets a husband and wife named Priscilla and Aquila. They're believers. They take Paul into their home while he's in Corinth. Paul stays with them for about a year and a half preaching the gospel, uh, many people believing, and Priscilla and Aquila do ministry with him there. At the end of that time together, they go across the Aegean Sea again, back over to Asia Minor to a city called Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila go with Paul, and they're, they're in Ephesus just for a brief time. And the people in Ephesus, they, they love the Apostle Paul's teaching, so they say to him, hey, will you stay with us and teach us more? Stay with us and teach us more. And Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that, but I will return to you, Lord willing. Um, what he does is then he leaves Ephesus and again goes back to his sending church in Antioch of Syria, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Ephesus for ministry there. Now that's where we left off in our study of the book of Acts. That's the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Today we're going to get into the next section of the book of Acts, which has to do with Paul's third missionary journey, which happens here at the end of chapter 18 and goes all the way through chapter 21. Today, in our text, we're going to be looking at chapter 18, specifically verses 23 through 28. Um, and I'm going to be, as we work our way down through those verses, I just want to teach the word. I want to make sure we understand it clearly so that we can apply it properly. And so at the end, we're going to bring it home with some takeaways for us. But all of our application and our takeaways are really going to revolve around this one big idea from this section of the book of Acts. And here's the main idea from this text. It's that God's plan for reaching the world is a process that includes people who are in process, right? God's plan to reach the world is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's been going on for 2,000 years now. God is reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a process. And in that process of reaching the world, he uses people in process, People who are flawed, people who are broken, people who are sinners like me and you that don't always get it right, we are in process, right? We are in, in, the, in the process of growth in the Lord. And so God's plan for reaching the world is a process for people in process. Now, that being covered, let's get into Paul's third missionary journey, Acts chapter 18. Let's start in verse 23. If you have your own copy of the scripture, you can follow along. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me and you can follow along there. Verse 23 says, after spending some time there, and let's just stop for a second and get our bearings. So when it says after spending time there, that means Paul spent time in Syria, of, uh, in Antioch of Syria. Again, that's the location of his sending church that keeps sending him out on these missionary journeys. So after spending some time there, he departed and he went from one place to the next through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So again, Galatia and Phrygia are part of the places that he went on his first two missionary journeys where he preached, people believed, and churches were started. And so now he's going back to strengthen the disciples who were there. Verse 24 says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Okay, let's, you know, we've mentioned a lot of locations, a lot of geographical places, so let's put the map up on the screen again and just kind of get our bearings. This, is, this map shows you the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. You can see that he starts out in Antioch of Syria on the northeastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. He travels north and then starts to go west and hits up a, a bunch of cities that are 
in those regions of Galatia and Phrygia. When we get to Acts chapter 19 and 20, you're going to see that Paul actually does make it all the way to the city of Ephesus that you can see on the map there on the western uh, coast of Asia Minor. That's where Ephesus is, and Paul is on his way there, but he's not there yet. But guess who arrives in the meantime? A man that we just read about in verse 24. His name is Apollos. And right away, we learn some things about Apollos. Verse 24 tells us that Apollos was a Jew, which is interesting because his name is obviously Greek, right? His name is Apollos, named after Apollo, the Greek god, right? So, so he is uh, a, a Jew with a Greek background. Um, those are often referred to as Hellenistic Jews, Jews who don't only speak Hebrew, but they also speak Greek. And so we see that, that uh, Apollos is a, is a Hellenistic Greek-speaking Jew. Um, next, we see that he's from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is actually a city in Egypt. So that's his hometown. He's actually from Egypt. He makes his way up to Ephesus. Here's the interesting thing about Alexandria. Alexandria in Egypt was actually the second largest city in the Roman Empire during this time. Um, you know, loads of people moved there to live, including a whole bunch of displaced Jews, right? So Jews kind of formed communities and enclaves there in Alexandria. You know what else came about in, uh, from the city of Alexandria? A document that we now call the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the first translation of the Hebrew scriptures into the language of Greek. That was done around 200 BC, right? So even before the time of Jesus, the Septuagint was put together. But my point is, is that by the time Apollos was growing up in Alexandria, the Septuagint was there, the Hebrew scriptures had been translated into his Greek language. He would have been able to learn the scripture that way, been very familiar with it. Apollos, therefore, would have been able to teach the scripture in Greek to the, the people in Europe and Asia Minor and the rest of the Greek-speaking world. So this is Apollos, all right? This is Apollos. Now look what else it says about him in verse 24. Verse 24 says that he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Um, eloquent, man, he's well-spoken. He was educated, likely in, you know, in the scriptures he was competent, um, Likely educated through the Septuagint. It would have made him a wonderful preacher, a wonderful communicator, especially to the Greek-speaking world. And as we're going to see as we study the book of Acts and as we read other portions of the scripture, Apollos did indeed become a very influential teacher among the church, among Christians. But here's what I want you to see. Apollos became influential. He became a prominent teacher in the church. But what would have happened if Paul wouldn't have left Ephesus and gone to Antioch of Syria. If Paul would have just stayed in Ephesus, then it's very likely the people in the city of Ephesus would have just kept looking to Paul as the main teacher, the primary communicator. But now that Paul left, Priscilla and Aquila were there, and so was this new man named Apollos who became a preacher and a teacher of the word. Now, what's my point? Here's, here's a truth that I want you to understand. Sometimes God's way of having the next ministry leader step up is by having the present ministry leader step out, 
Okay? Sometimes God's way of having the next ministry leader step up is by having the present ministry leader step out. We've experienced this in our life. We've seen ministry leaders that have come and gone from churches, ministries that we've been a part of. We love them. We're fond of them. God calls them elsewhere. We may not prefer that. We may not like that. But you know what? God then oftentimes brings the next leader. And now that's what's going on with Paul and Apollos. Instead of having one preacher, now he's got two strong preachers who are able to reach people with the gospel because what is the book of Acts all about? The book of Acts is all about God raising up his people to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is raising up different people to get the gospel out. People like Paul and people like Apollos. God called Paul out so that Apollos could step up. Now, Apollos was a powerful teacher of Scripture, eloquent, competent in God's Word. We learn more about him in verse 25. So verse 25 says, uh, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. So what do we see about Apollos here? He He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So that means that somebody had taught him the way of Jesus, Somebody had taught him. And being fervent in spirit, it means that he was on fire. He was boiling over. He was passionate about teaching what he knew, right? So what do we have? Two aspects of Apollos that stand out. He cared about biblical accuracy. He cared about teaching accurately, right? But he also cared about teaching passionately. He was fervent in spirit, right? So when Apollos preaches... It wouldn't have been one of those boring sermons, you know, of, you know, Jesus was the Son of God, fully God and fully man, right? This is the hypostatic union. Let me tell you what union is in Greek. Okay, like, we're not getting that from Apollos, right? He's not going to bore you to death. He, He was theologically accurate, but he was intensely passionate about what he was preaching. Two of my favorite preachers are Jonathan Edwards and Martin Lloyd Jones. Jonathan Edwards died in 1758 after preaching and being instrumental in the first great awakening, the first revival in America's history. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a a preacher in London. He preached and was highly influential during um, World War II and everything that was going on there. Well, Jonathan Edwards, you know, and Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones were both incredibly intelligent men, but they were also uh, set on the fact that preachers should also be passionate men. In, in one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons on um, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 35, uh, Jonathan Edwards says that two things must come together in the life of the preacher, light and heat, right? He says light and heat must be there. When he talks about light, he's talking about shining a light on the truth of God's word, seeing it clearly for what it is, and then heat has to do with fervency and unction and passion in the heart of the preacher. And so he, here's what he says about heat and light. He says this, if a minister has light without heat and entertains his auditory with learned discourses, but without zeal for God and the good of souls, he may gratify itching ears and fill the heads of his people with empty notions, but it will not be very likely to save their souls. And he says this also, and if on the other hand, he be driven on with fierce and intemperate zeal and vehement heat, but without light, he will be likely to fire their corrupt passions and affections 
and will make them never the better, nor lead them one step towards heaven, but drive them apace the other way. So for Jonathan Edwards, both had to be there, light and heat, accuracy and fervency, truth and passion, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones would have wholeheartedly agreed with Jonathan Edwards. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in one of his books. He says, what is preaching? It is logic on fire. He says, this is eloquent reason. Preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. And he would go on to say this. He said, a preacher should be the type of man that if you were to toss him in the lake, he would sizzle, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that, I love that. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, Jonathan Edwards, they both believe that light and heat must be their truth and passion. Accuracy and fervency. And we see both of those things in Apollos, right? Now, Apollos, he was accurate about Jesus, but we see that he was incomplete in his understanding about something else. Verse 25 tells us that he did not yet know of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew of the baptism of John. He only knew of the baptism of John. That's a reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as you know, came and preached before Jesus came to the earth, John the Baptist preached and prepared the way. He said, the Messiah is coming. Jesus is the Lamb of God who's gonna take away the sins of the world. He prepared the way and he preached. And here's what he would do as he was preparing the way. He would call people who believed in God, who believed that God was gonna send the Messiah, he would call people to get their lives right with God and repent of their sins. And as an expression of their repentance, he would baptize them in water. Right? That was the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance. Now, Apollos seems to have believed the message of John the Baptist. He believed um, and he understood the, the baptism of John. But it seems like Apollos didn't fully know about everything that John had preached because John also preached that the, when the Messiah would come, there would be another baptism to experience. Luke chapter 3, verse 16 quotes John the Baptist as preaching and saying, hey, I baptize you with water, but Jesus, right, he will do what? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I've preached other sermons in our series on the book of Acts on what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. I'm not going to cover all that again right here. I just encourage you to go back and listen to the early sermons in our series on the book of Acts where you can hear about that. But his teaching, Apollos' teaching was accurate concerning Jesus, but it was incomplete concerning the Holy Spirit. So look what happens next. Verse 26 says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos, right, he starts preaching. He's preaching in the synagogue. Jews, God-fearing Greeks are gathered in the synagogue to hear him preach. Two of the people in the crowd are Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife. And remember, these are the two people who stayed with the Apostle Paul in Corinth, right? They lived with the Apostle Paul for a year and a half, did ministry with him. They heard the Apostle Paul's preaching. They understood from Paul that Jesus was the Messiah, and they understood the teachings of the Holy Spirit and various things. So they're listening to Apollos preach now about Jesus, and it's got his attention. It's got their attention, but they understand that he's incomplete in his knowledge of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, so what do they do? They pull him aside. 
They teach him the way of God more accurately. They respectfully do that, right? They, they're pulling him aside in a private manner. They don't want to discredit him. They don't want to discourage him. They're not trying to embarrass him or make themselves look good. They just, they know that Apollos is passionate about Jesus and about people hearing about Jesus, but they also know he needed to uh, have his theology a little more complete in some areas. So they pull him aside privately, respectfully, and they give him the truth, which just Reminds me, you know, like, I think we have a little theme over the past few weeks in our church. Like, whenever we're talking about theological understanding and, you know, it's got to include the balance of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Here we see it again. Aquila and Priscilla are living it out. Grace and truth. So, Apollos was helped by Priscilla and Aquila. So, let's see what happens next. Verse 27 says, and when he, that's Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia, so again, Achaia is back across the Aegean Sea, back over in the um, kind of southern tip of Europe. That's where the city of Corinth was. That's where Priscilla and Aquila had come from. It's kind of like their home church, right? So Apollos now wants to go back to Priscilla and Aquila's home church and preach there. How are they going to feel about that? Because they just had to kind of help this guy out on his theology, right? So what are they going to do? Look at verse 27. It says, when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. And wrote to the disciples to welcome him, right? They, they wrote Apollos, a good old-fashioned reference letter, right? Here we go. So we're sending him your way. So Apollos, you know, what, is this, what does this mean? This means that Apollos received their instruction and would have been teaching the word more accurately now. He was humble. He was teachable. He had, yes, he was knowledgeable and passionate and fiery and eloquent, but he wasn't so prideful that he couldn't be taught. Right? He was teachable. I was reminded of uh, a verse from the book of Proverbs this past week that reminds me of, of Apollos. It's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So Apollos, we see, lived this out. He's a wise and righteous man. He received instruction and became wiser still. So they gave him a letter of recommendation and off he went. Okay, so continue on in verse 27 and 28. It says, when he arrived, again, he's going over to Achaia, where the city of Corinth was. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So, again, in Corinth, there were already Christians there. Paul had went there and preached. People had believed. Churches were started there. Now, Apollos is going back over there. And one of the ways that Apollos helped the church in Corinth was by publicly debating with these Jews. And he would refute some of their wrong beliefs. And so, I imagine... When it says that, that Apollos was showing them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, I imagine Apollos doing kind of the same thing the Apostle Paul did. I imagine them getting out their, their copy of the Jewish scriptures. And they're saying things like, um, hey, you see here where Moses said that the Messiah was going to come from Abraham? Let me tell you about the lineage of Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, you see here how Isaiah the prophet said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin? Let me tell you about this woman named Mary. You see here how Micah the prophet uh, said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? Let me tell you about Mary's birthing story. All right? You see how Isaiah told you that uh, a messenger would come and prepare the way before um, the Messiah came? 
Have you heard of John the Baptist? See how Isaiah said that he would suffer and die for sinners? Let me tell you about this man Jesus on the cross of Calvary. You see how David prophesied in the Psalms that he wouldn't be abandoned to the grave? Let me tell you what happened to Jesus after three days in the grave. You see how Joel the prophet prophesied that the Spirit of God would be poured out in the last day? Hey, have you guys heard of what has happened in Pentecost in Jerusalem? Apollos was proving to them from the Scripture that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and that he came and that he died and he rose again. So like Paul, he was preaching this message of salvation through Jesus. And this would have been opposite of what the Jews would have believed. The Jews believed that salvation was through the works of the law. Paul came and preached. It was no, it was through belief in Jesus. Apollos is now coming saying, no, this is, Jesus was the Messiah. And if you want salvation, you need to believe in him. Which, by the way, let me just say this to anybody who may be here today. There may be people in our church today who you, in your mind, you may believe that there's a God. You may believe that one day when this life is over, you're going to be in judgment before him and he's going to make a determination for your soul, heaven or hell. And you believe that. But some of you may be thinking kind of like the Jews back in the, in the first century, that if we just do enough good works, then God will accept us. Isn't that a common theme in our culture today? Yeah. You just do enough good deeds, then God will accept you. And as long as our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds in the end, then we'll be saved. I just want you to know that that's opposite of what the Scripture teaches us. The Scripture teaches us that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. Why? So that no man can boast. You know, the proclivity of our hearts would be to say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. That's the boast of our hearts. Surely God will accept me. I'm a pretty good person. Well, if you were good enough to save yourself, then God would have never had to send Jesus. And yet God sent his one and only son into the world that those who believe on him will be saved. So you want to be saved? You want to know for sure that you're saved and that God will accept you into heaven? Don't bank on the uncertainty of your works. Bank on the certainty of Jesus Christ. That was the message of Paul. That was the message of Apollos. And so Apollos is there preaching in Achaia and the city of Corinth. And when we read the Bible, you know, the rest of the New Testament, we learn other things about how influential Apollos became in his preaching and teaching. When you read Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, that in our Bible we call it 1 Corinthians, when you read it, you see that Apollos became such a popular, well-liked teacher that all these weird divisions started rising up in the church about like, which teacher do we prefer the most? So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, Paul writes and he says this, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And still others, the really self-righteous ones, I follow Christ. All right? Okay, now, there's all these divisions going on. Who follows who? 
My point in bringing it up right now is just simply to, to, for you to understand this. Apollos became really influential to the point where people would put him in the same category as Paul and Peter and Jesus, right? I mean, that's how influential this Apollos became in the early church, which helps us understand why Paul would later write this in his letter to the Corinthian church. He writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 and 6. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gives the growth. Guys, that's the point of the book of Acts. Some plant, some water, God gives the growth, okay? God uses people to be his witnesses to, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. People like Paul, people like Apollos, people like Priscilla and Aquila and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and others that were going out preaching the gospel. Because God does what? God's plan is for reaching the world through a process using people who are what? In process. All of us are in the process of growth. All of us are in the process of doing something for the Lord that he uses for his purposes. Now, with that main point back in your mind, let's drive it home with some personal application. We've unpacked this story, this section of scripture about Apollos. Now let's bring it home with some application for us. Three takeaways, one from the life of Paul, one from Priscilla and Aquila, one from Apollos. They were all in process just like us, okay? So here's what we see from the life of Paul. Number one, if you're in the process of following God's call to step out, trust that he has others to step up. If you're in the process of following God's call to step out, maybe he's calling you to get involved in a new ministry somewhere. Maybe he's calling you to do something different than you've normally done. Then you have to trust him that he will have others to step up. That's exactly what happened with Paul. He followed God's call to step out and go to uh, leave Ephesus and go to Antioch, Syria. He trusted that the Lord would bring people to minister to the folks in Ephesus. And the Lord brought Apollos. So sometimes God calls us to step out so that others can step up. Now, what I'm, honestly, if I'm honest with you, what I'm afraid of is that we're going to have a whole bunch of volunteers in our church this week that say, all right, I'm done. (laughs) All right, please don't do that. Right? The Apostle Paul didn't just kind of quit and take a break and, and you're not, he found another way to serve, okay? So, but here's what, here's what I do think happens sometimes. Sometimes leaders are so passionate about their ministry, uh, about the way that they serve, they care very deeply about the people they're serving, and so they'll have this internal thing of saying, I think the Lord's calling me here, but if I go here, what's gonna happen there? If I cover this, who's gonna cover that? And there's this, there's this internal struggle and it reflects the fact that people care deeply about the ministry that they've been involved in and the thing that they've been doing. But here's the thing. If God is calling you here and if he still wants this thing to keep going, then he will raise up people there. Does that make sense? So you can trust him. Follow God's call to step out. Trust that he has someone else to step up. That's lesson learned from Paul in this story. Now what about Aquila and Priscilla? Here's what we learned from Aquila and Priscilla. Like them, we should look for both passion and accuracy from those teaching to the scriptures. But we gotta remember that even our teachers are in process too, right? So yes, like Priscilla and Aquila did, they were listening to Apollos, they were paying attention, 
They valued theological accuracy. They didn't kind of just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, Apollos is just really gifted, so his content doesn't really matter. We just really like him, right? No, they didn't use his eloquence to kind of become an excuse for incomplete theology. They, they pulled him aside. They, they, they valued both. So like Priscilla and Aquila, we should value theological accuracy, but at the same time, they obviously understood that Apollos was like them, a man in process. He was as gifted as he was. God was still growing him. So what did they do? They respectfully, lovingly pulled him aside. They weren't trying to embarrass him or discredit him or make him look dumb or anything like that. They just pulled him aside and they explained the way of God to him more clearly. Why? Because I think they knew like, hey, I think they saw in Apollos, this guy loves Jesus. This guy cares about people believing in Jesus. Aquila and Priscilla believed the same thing and they understood, hey, we're all on the same page here. Let's pull him aside and help him understand just a little bit better in this area. Guys, that's the way it should happen now. You know, when we notice that a leader loves Christ and is zealous for the church, and, but he may be off or she may be off in a particular area, wouldn't it be much better if we just lovingly pulled them aside and talked to them rather than try to start a big kerfuffle in the church or rather than try to make some big social media blast, you know, just like, you know, just pull them aside, love them, guide them toward the faithful teaching of God's word. Listen, put yourself in, in the shoes of a teacher. If you were teaching and you were passionate about Jesus and you wanted people to come, but you were in error somewhere, unintentionally in error in your doctrine, wouldn't you want somebody to lovingly pull you aside gently rebuke you and correct you, right? I'll just say it. That's what I want from you guys, right? So I will, inevitably I have and, and inevitably will be off track on something that I preach. Like, I, I, I want to preach the truth. And so I welcome like the, the talks and the correction and the guidance towards the truth. But, you know, sometimes I think we get on our soapbox and we try to make big scenes about things and it's just ungodly. So lesson learned from Priscilla and Aquila. Value theological accuracy, but remember that even the most gifted of teachers are still in process. Here's the last takeaway, something that we can learn from Apollos. From Apollos, we learn that, yes, we should be so zealous for the truth that we are open to the process of correction when it's needed. We should care so much about the truth that if we're off, we want somebody to come and tell us, hey, let's get you back on. So, We saw in our text, Apollos had this wonderful gift mix of eloquence and knowledge and passion. Like, what a wonderful combo. But we also see that he wanted to teach with accuracy. And he was caring so much about the truth and delivering the truth that he was willing to receive instruction from a husband and a wife that helped him teach the word of God more accurately. So, Those of us who are involved in teaching ministry in some way, whether you're teaching God's word in your home, whether you're teaching in the church, teaching a children's class or a student ministry leader or leading a growth group or teaching an adult class or leading a a ministry, maybe it's not even in our church, leading a ministry outside of our church or maybe some of you will fill this pulpit and preach sometimes here. Look, we want to be people who are competent in the scriptures. We want to be people who are zealous for the truth. And we need to understand we're going to make mistakes along the way. But let's not just get flippant and just kind of like, whatever, about God's word. Like, 
Let's remain zealous for the truth. So zealous that when we're off, we can actually engage in loving, reasonable conversations with people to get back on. So, I include myself in this as much as anybody else. So let me just kind of bring this to a summary. Church family, I pray that God will make us a church full of people who, like Apollos, are described as men and women who are competent in the Scriptures. May we as a church help each other toward that end, just like Paul helped Aquila and Priscilla, and just like they helped Apollos, and just like Apollos helped the people in the church in Corinth. And may it be true of all of us so that the world might be changed by some of us who plant, some of us who water, but ultimately by God who gives the increase. Because God's plan for reaching the world is a process that includes people who are in process. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are so patient with us. You are loving toward us. I want to thank you that you give everyone who believes in you spiritual gifts to be used for the building up and the edification of the church. And Lord, even in the use of our gifts, sometimes we fall short. And so Lord, I pray that We would be a church, as we've talked about for the past few weeks, a church that lives out the practice of both grace and truth. Pray that you'd help me as I teach your word. Help everybody in our church who is involved in one way or another communicating your precious scriptures to impressionable souls. Lord, I pray that you would help us to faithfully teach your word, that we would be people competent in the scriptures that we would teach it accurately and that when we are off, that you would bring loving brothers and sisters in Christ in our life to help us teach the way of God more accurately. Lord, we need you to do that. We need you to help us do it in a way that is pleasing to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your word and for the wonderful gift of your church. It's a joy to preach your word to your church today. I pray that you would use it in whatever way you see fit. Give your people ears to hear whatever you are saying. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.